This episode of the Doctors of Running podcast is sponsored by RunCare.org. Created by physicians, therapists, and trainers, RunCare aims to help runners find healthcare providers that truly understand their needs by providing a nationwide list of recommended providers who specialize in working with runners. Each provider in the RunCare network has been vetted and evaluated so that you know you're visiting someone who knows the value of your training and lifestyle. The list currently features over 50 doctors and physical therapists from across the U.S. and is currently expanding to have providers in all 50 states. If you're a doctor or physical therapist who specializes in working with runners and would like to join the RunCare network, visit runcare.org to submit an application. At this time, there's no cost to be listed in the RunCare directory. RunCare's goal, first and foremost, is to get runners connected with the right providers. Visit runcare.org today to learn more. everyone, and welcome to the Doctors of Running podcast, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and the science of the stuff that we're putting on our feet. I'm Andrea Myers, and today Megan Flynn is joining me. Hey, Megan. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Good, good, thanks. And today's episode is all about coaching. Um, Megan and I are both run, and I'm a bike coach too, um, and we thought that it would be a timely episode to talk about who might benefit from a coach, different types of coaching, and just all of the things that coaches can help with, and also who maybe doesn't need a coach. So first, let's get into our subjective, and the subjective for today is, do you use a coach for your training? So Megan, I I know the answer, but <laughs> do you have a coach for your training? So yes, I do. Um, I have a coach for, so I have a run coach. And then uh, right now I actually just hired a triathlon coach, starting to s- switch over to uh, triathlon. Um, but I have tried to coach myself in the past and it's just, it's tough to do no matter like how, how many people you coach outside of yourself. It, I think it's a tough thing to do. What about you? Um, yep. Yeah, I have a run coach. When I was bike racing, um, I had, you know, outside coaches, my husband coached me for a while, but then most of my racing career, I actually coached myself. Like I kind of got to the point where I knew what I needed to do at different parts in the season or what I needed to do to get ready for a particular race. So when I transitioned over to running a few years ago, I tried coaching myself, but I just realized I had too many blind spots with running. You know, I hadn't trained seriously in running since college, basically. So it definitely has helped me having an outside coach who just takes that mental burden off and my coach tells me what to do and hopefully I can do it. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. You always like, I've noticed for myself and you're probably the same way that I'll always like, I'll write my plans for all the people I coach and then I'm going to put myself probably last and then be like, oh my God, what am I supposed to do today? What should I do? What makes (laughs) sense? And then it never, it's never the best decision, like to just kind of figure it out as the day comes, unless of course you're like, uh, I don't know, Courtney to Walter, I guess does that, <laughs> but that works for her for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it, when you're self coaching, it's too easy to get swayed by like how you feel in the moment or how you feel that day. I mean, I know like in the middle of marathon training, a lot of my workouts, I definitely wouldn't pick for myself just based on how tired I am. But that's the point of marathon training is training when you're tired. 
So yeah, it's I absolutely have benefited from having a coach in my uh, little running comeback here. Um, but that's what we're going to talk about today is just all of the things about coaching, some of the things that we've learned over the years, both as athletes and as coaches. So um, just so our listeners know, Megan, what type of coaching do you do? Um, so I do, um, I coach athletes post-collegiately from the mile up to the marathon. Um, outside of that, I also coach at the high school level. So training from, I focus on distance events. So usually mid distance to distance, so 800 up to the 3,200. Um, and then for cross country, uh, focusing on the 5k there for New Jersey cross country. And your team had a pretty successful year last year, right? Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah. As a team, the the track team uh, tied f- to win the sectional title for um, Group Three uh, North Two. If that means anything to any New Jersey people out there, um, <laughs> but yeah. And then this past uh, cross country season, we made it to groups for the first time in a few years. So I'm looking forward to uh, we're getting started in a little over a month for the spring season. That's awesome. Well, good luck in the track season this year. We'll Thank have you. to look out for your results. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. So first, I think the biggest question that we should address first is just who might benefit from a coach. And actually, the idea for this episode, Megan, came from an Instagram post that you had, I think, a week or two ago. So talk a little bit about what you posted. Um, Of course, we'll talk about the different types of coaching or ways to be coached. But from your perspective, the type of, let's just say, runners who would benefit from a coach, what would you say about that? So there are, so we put out the post through Cadence, um, or my physical therapy clinic, but um, so the self-coaching option definitely works for some people. It's like for people that have either been in the sport for a while, really don't really have like goals except to like start moving um, or just like kind of exercise, just get into a routine. Um, but yeah, so going back to like people that have been in the sport for a while, they know how to race, they know their bodies, they know what they need to do and they have no problem like writing their plan, executing it and kind of going with the motions there. Now, the problem that happens there, like if somebody's doing that for a while is that sometimes they might hit a plateau. So you might've been, you might be in the sport for like 15, 20 years, maybe more, and you just can't seem to break that next barrier. So that's when I think it's appropriate for somebody to start looking for that one-on-one coaching. So that could be in a number of different ways. One being just a cookie cutter plan. Like here's your plan from a coach after like talking to them, maybe not cookie cutter. It's not not the best word, (laughs) but um, (laughs) here's your plan. Go execute it. Like we'll talk before the race, um, come up with racing strategies. I'm here if you need, but your job is just execute this like three, four month plan. Then there's also another tier that we decided to offer that's more of like um, a fluid plan. So this is this is one that um, most of, most of my clients do this one. So it's like that weekly communication. Um, it's it's a hundred percent custom, like individualized. And I think this one is probably the most effective for reaching those goals and getting past like a plateau um, for. A number of different reasons. One, you have somebody holding you accountable. Like you have somebody that's checking your workouts every day, 
are you doing your easy runs? Are you doing your strides? Are you doing your long runs, tempos, all of that? Um, you have somebody to bounce ideas off of. So if you're not feeling great or if you want to try something new, okay, you have a coach that's supposed to or that should have that expert knowledge that can at least like kind of guide you in the right direction. Um, but also be there on the good days and the bad days. So if you have a bad workout, which is going to happen, you have somebody that you can reach out to and just kind of like reflect on it, focus on the takeaways. Um, but yeah, so I think the one-on-one coaching and somebody that hires a coach is looking to reach like a next level or looking to like better organize their time, um, efficiency, um, and just accountability. Yeah, I think that's a big thing that maybe people don't realize that coaches do. Like a lot of people think coaching is just about the training plan, but a lot of coaching is not about the training plan. It's helping you figure out how to balance training with your life or like what should you do with your training if you get a cold or if you get COVID? What should you do if you get injured? What should you do if you didn't sleep the past three nights because, you know, your dog or your kid is sick? We tend to make bad decisions on our own in those situations. I know I sometimes certainly do. So it helps to have that like objective outside person who knows you, who knows your goals saying, okay, this is what you need to do given these circumstances. This is how we're going to adjust your training to keep you on track for your goals without you trying to do a workout when you're sick or trying to push through after three nights of no sleep. So coaching, it's not just about the training plan. It's about a lot more than that. Right. And it's so much better having someone. So I've definitely been there too, like being sick and being like, am I just like skipping this workout, blah, blah, blah. And like having somebody else, like an outsider be like, no, like this isn't going to derail your training. If anything, like if you try to push through this injury, this sickness, illness, it's actually going to put you back even more than if you just take like the day or two, let your body catch up. And like just having somebody else say that to you is sometimes enough to be like, oh yeah, that's obvious. (laughs) Absolutely. Like when I was bike racing professionally, like of course the focus is a little different. And I mean, I raced through being sick. I raced when I was injured. Like I did a lot of things that you did because of the level of the sport, that, but they were definitely not like the best choice for your body. And a couple of years ago, you know, I was training for a marathon. I got, you know, cold and I texted my coach to say like, hey, what should I do? And he said, your health is the number one priority and always is. And it was such a simple statement, but like compared to what I did in my cycling career, that was not always the truth. Like I often put my health second to racing, but like just having him say that to me was like, yeah, what am I, why am I being stupid? Why would I try to do a workout when I have a cold? It's just going to make it last longer and it's going to set me back even more. But like that one statement was worth like all of the money that I paid for the coaching, you know? <laughs> yeah. And honestly, that's like, yeah, that's part of being a coach, like being able to like rein you in and mm-hmm. help you see big picture, like the important right. things. Yes. <laughs> so is there anyone who, in your opinion, doesn't need a coach? Um, I'd say somebody that's just looking for like, I could, I could argue this too, but somebody that's just looking for like, just 
fitness goals, like just wants to mm-hmm. get out the door three days a week, 20 to 30 minute runs. Like, sure. Like that, like, as long as you're like following a routine, you're not like, like, uh, jumping way up in mileage one week or like overdoing it and coming back down the next week. But yeah, I think if, if somebody's just looking to like get in shape, maybe just get started with running, that could be, that would be appropriate. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, like if they found like a coach to 5K program and followed mm-hmm. it. Because of course, like if you're new, it's really easy to make mistakes because you don't know what running is supposed to feel like. A lot of new runners tend to run way too fast. That's how a lot of people end up hating running is because <laughs> they're running way too hard. Like they're running at like, what is their race pace every day? I was, I was just thinking of that. So <laughs> this one friend that I've been trying to get them into running for so long and then they told me the one day they're like, I just, I go out and run as hard as I can. And I just can't get past three miles. It's like, that's not how you're supposed to do it. Yeah. No wonder you hate it. If I had to race every single day, yeah, I'd probably start feeling a little burnt out. Yeah, for so, sure. <laughs> it's like, why don't you take it like back a little bit, maybe like a minute, a mile. And uh, now they're up to like five miles. They're running consistently starting to get into it, but yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> I think the other type of person who maybe doesn't need a coach is someone who like really is curious, is willing to read like a few like self-coaching books to like figure out how to train themselves. Um, But I think that kind of takes a special person to be one like in tune enough with yourself to know if you're overdoing it, if you're underdoing it, if you have to make adjustments. But I think for a lot of people, coaching yourself can be a lot of fun because you're basically running an experiment on you. That's true, yeah. And, you know, if you're willing to take some risks and you're not, like, training for a huge goal event, then it's fun to see, okay, well, what happens if I try, like, this type of workout? Or what happens if I start adding, like, one double a weekend? And just see seeing how your body responds. So yeah. I... But I do think that it takes a special person to be self-coached. Yeah, like really do your do your homework, do your research, use resources. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so many different ways to get coaching these days, especially with the technology. So of course, the type of coaching you and I are talking about is either in-person coaching, like what you do with your high schoolers or online coaching, which is what I mostly do with my clients, although I do get to run or ride with them occasionally if they live nearby. But there's other types of coaching where like, you maybe aren't interacting with a human at all. Like you can go on training peaks or other platforms and just buy a training plan that a coach wrote. Now there's AI coaching platforms that will modify a training plan based on how you respond to it. So what do you think about those, Megan? And have you seen anybody have like success with those like just, you know, plug and chug training plans or the AI ones? I have had people have some success with just like the cookie cutter training plans. But like that being said, everybody's different. And of course there's like, this plan is going to work for somebody. Like that's why it was created. It worked to help somebody achieve their goal. So I think that can kind of like fall under the same thing as like almost self-coaching where you're following a cookie cutter plan. If it 
works, awesome. If not, okay, you experimented, you tried, you know this approach doesn't work, try another one. Um, and then the AI ones, I haven't had too much experience with them. Um, I know like you can put in like all your data and it collects everything, but again, you're not getting that like feedback that you would get from like a, a human coach, I guess. Um, <laughs> like you're, you're not getting like, oh, that workout, like how did it feel? What was like your effort? What, like, what do you think? I don't know. And then like talking about other things like nutrition and race strategies. I don't know. If, do you get all that with the AI? Well, I, I, one, I haven't tested out an AI coaching platform. I think it would be very entertaining. But just think about some of the responses that you get from AI. Like when Bach had AI write, I think, like a Nike Pegasus shoe review. It got some things right, but then some things were like way out of left field. So, and I mean, that's one thing for it to get like a shoe review wrong. Like people probably aren't getting hurt from that. But if you get a coaching plan wrong, you potentially could get hurt from that. So I think that AI has enormous potential, but I just don't think that the algorithms are there yet for it to be anywhere close to that of a like a good human coach. Um, but who knows? I mean, maybe someday they will be better. Um, but I certainly wouldn't choose an AI program over a you know, experienced human. Yeah. Plus like, um, like talking like race strategies and everything. Like if we, if one of us has run the course or biked the course, we're going to be able to break it down so much better and in more detail than AI, in my opinion. I don't know. Like I said, <laughs> right. I haven't really used it that like, I haven't used it at all for coaching plans or anything, but I know it's out there, <laughs> but right. uh, They're just I don't know. <laughs> It's just pulling data from the internet, right? So, like, think about, like, you and I both ran Philly last year. We both read, like, very divergent opinions on, like, how hilly the course was. <laughs> so, like, if AI just pulled other people's reviews of the course, like, what would it tell you? All over the place. Yeah. <laughs> it's also probably perspective. <laughs> Right. How the race went, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, another thing I would say about like those kind of cookie cutter training plans is, yeah, they can be very beneficial for some people, but I think people should feel free to modify them to make them fit your life. Like just because the cookie cutter plan you bought has like the long run on Saturday, it doesn't mean your long run has to be on Saturday. Like move it to Sunday or move it to Friday or whatever day works better for you. You might be someone who needs two days off of running and the plan you bought maybe only has one. Well, that's okay. Take one of the easy run days and turn it into either another day off or like a easy cross training day. So those pre-written plans can be like, kind of makes like a good framework for like a plan you can personalize for you. But I think you do have to one, know a little bit about what works well for you and also be willing to not take the plan as like gospel. Like, okay, this was not written specifically for me. I'm going to change it so it fits better with my life or I'm going to change it so it fits better with like the training that works better for me. I agree with that 100%. Like no training plan, no matter 
if it's a cookie cutter plan, if it's coming from somebody like one-on-one should never be like a concrete, this is what it is. No flexibility at all. Because things come up, work things happen, life things happen. Um, you get sick, like it has to be, yeah, it has to be flexible. Right. Yeah. And, and be flexible with yourself too is key. So now let's talk about one of the most popular types of coaching, which is doing whatever your friend is doing. (laughs) (laughs) I've actually had coaching clients ask me if I will coach them and then can their friend also just do the same workouts? And my answer is always no, because... I don't know anything about your friend. Like, does your friend have the exact same life that you do and the same, like, physiological parameters that you do? (laughs) Probably not. But even so, if your friend has a coach or if your friend bought a training plan for the New York Marathon or whatever, that doesn't mean that you should do exactly what your friend is doing. Like, maybe, like, you could do key workouts together Or maybe you guys can meet up and like run on the same bike path together, but maybe you do like slightly different things. But it is often a recipe for injury, burnout, disaster if you try to just do whatever training someone you know is doing. Yeah, because before you know it, you're going to end up like, say you're jumping in with a friend here, jumping in with a friend there. You're going to end up doing like four or five days of high quality hard work. And that's just, in my opinion, like like you said, a recipe for disaster injury, like burnout, which is tough to come back, come back from. Um, But uh, but yeah, like even like what you're saying, like even meet up with a friend to do a workout, like if you don't have the same thing or the same exact workout, even just having somebody out there with you, like just like that you see every so often maybe you're like doing an out and back you see them like twice a loop that's enough to make a big difference in your workout even if you're not doing the same exact thing oh definitely I do that with my training partners all the time like we'll meet up and like do a certain loop or do a certain section of the bike path and maybe like warm up and cool down together but just like having someone out there like it's motivating because you know your friend is like working hard too. And when you pass each other, you can like cheer each other on, you know. (laughs) So it doesn't have, your workouts don't have to line up to meet up. It can be very fun and helpful at the same time, just being out there together. So let's assume that somebody has decided that they need a coach, like some type of coaching. So And people ask me this question a lot. Well, how do I know like what type of coach is right for me and how can I find the right coach? So what would you recommend to somebody who asked you that question? How could they get started? So first I tell them to ask around, ask people that they run with, ask people in their running community um, who they work with and who they would recommend. Um, Then you can reach out to them Usually coaches would schedule like a phone call um, where you just get to know each other, get to know if you're a good fit, if you agree with their training philosophies. Um, That would be one route. Another route is I know through like uh, through the RRCA and I think USATF has a database too. You can actually go on there, type in your location and it'll come up with probably a couple hundred coaches 
<laughs> you have to narrow that down. Um, but usually they have like, if they're like beginner, intermediate, advanced, um, and what specific distances they uh, focus on. Um, what about you? Would you have anything else to add to that? Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up like having a phone call with the coach. That's really important because every coach has their own philosophy. And, you know, hopefully the coach that you end up working with isn't just like applying like a bunch of cookie cutter plans to everybody. Like hopefully they're actually considering you and developing a program for you. But some coaches emphasize, let's say, higher mileage for the marathon. Some coaches really want their athletes to run seven days a week. Some coaches really emphasize strength training or cross training. So it's important that you find a coach whose style lines up with what works for you, if you know what works for you. The other thing is communication is really important, and you need to be comfortable communicating with your coach to get the most out of their coaching. I encourage my coached athletes to talk to me all the time. Like They can text me or call me whenever they want, because the more they tell me what's going on, the better I can coach them. If I don't know that like you didn't sleep last night or that you know, you've got all this life stuff going on or you fell down the stairs and you're wondering if you should do your workout the next day, like I can't help you. But if you tell me what's going on, then I can help you problem solve and figure out what to do given the circumstances. So you've got to find someone you're comfortable talking to. I've certainly talked to coaches who... You know, they are so um, proud of how smart they are that they aren't exactly the best communicators. Like, here's the training. Don't bother me. You know, I don't have time to talk to you about what's going on. You don't want a coach like that. Like, you want somebody who has time for you and who has time to answer your questions. So make sure before you sign up with someone that you feel comfortable talking to them and asking questions and you like the way they explain things. Because if in your first phone call it doesn't feel like a good connection, I mean, you know, your people's relationships can improve over time, but you need to feel some sort of connection when you first talk to somebody. If they're very abrupt and just you know, dismissive of questions you ask in an introductory phone call, then they're probably not going to be the right person for you. 100%. I agree with that. Like that intro call in my eyes as an athlete and a coach is one of the most important things uh, because that sets the stage like that shows you, okay, is this coach willing to work with me or do they, are they listening to what I'm saying? Are they taking the time out to get to know me and like using this information to create a plan or if it's like a quick, like short call, how, how are you, how is this coach? Like I would ask myself, how is this coach going to write a plan for me when they might not have even asked about my goals, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. um, and that communication aspect is important, like in all, all forms of coaching, like, especially when you're not in person, like in person, I do think, and if, <laughs> if I could be everywhere, that would be great. But it does help like seeing, actually seeing the effort, seeing how the workout goes, like how, how tired are you after each rep, all that. But if you're not there as a coach, which 99% of the time, we're probably not, then that communication is so important because if you're, if you're training for a marathon, we'll use that as an example, and you're finishing a like two mile tempo and you're like 
huffing and puffing, that's not, that's probably not marathon pace. And that's not, we're not challenging the right system there. So we have to adjust, but we won't know, the coaches won't know if, if you don't, if, if you don't communicate that with them or feel comfortable right. telling them that. Yeah. So that, that's a good point too, is that it, it, the athlete has a responsibility to inform the coach how things are going. Like most coaching platforms, you know, have like a comments system or like a messaging system where you can like write down how you felt during the workout. Use that. Like I, and most of my athletes are really good with sending me little notes every day. But the more you tell your coach about how you're feeling, the better they can help you. If you don't tell them anything, we can only go off of, you know, the data from your watch, your pace, your heart rate, your power, if you're a cyclist or if you're using a running power meter. But that's not enough. We want to know the subjective stuff, like how you felt. Did it feel hard? Were you tired? Were you crabby? Were you afraid of the workout? Like that all helps us understand you better. Um, So I would also say another important question to ask the coach, because some coaches do restrict communication, like there are different levels of coaching plans where maybe you get like one phone call a month with your coach, maybe you get one email a week, or there's like unlimited communication, like what I do with my athletes, but find out what it is in advance. And maybe that limited communication will work well for you. You've just got to know yourself, but If you think you're going to need more feedback than that, don't sign up for one of those limited communication plans. Um, But I just, I think both of us agree, we can't overemphasize the importance of coach-athlete communication. Yeah, like I'll I'll tell my athletes um, to, like after every run almost, usually the easy runs too, but put the notes in there. Like I I use training peaks for, um, to give my plans to my athletes. But even like, like the the comments in there are so important for us to see, like we've been talking about, but also for the athlete to see, like looking back, like, for example, if you have like this nagging hip injury that you're like, oh, it's, it's nothing, it's nothing, but you just write it down. And then like, fast forward a few weeks, you're like, oh man, it's been bothering me almost a month. Like, this is a problem. I should probably get it looked at. Like things like that. Um, Also like using that, like the communication piece is like the training log to look back at key workouts before a race. Like, how did you feel on this? And like, watch yourself progressing over the course of the training plan. But yeah, I think, I mean, communication, you can't stress it enough. Definitely. And yeah, using, I use training peaks too, but yeah, whatever platform you're using, even if you're just recording your training in a notebook, the more you write down for yourself, even going back and looking at that is so valuable in helping you develop as an athlete and also just to show you how far you've come. You know, at the beginning of a marathon training block, if like a three-mile tempo felt at a certain pace felt kind of challenging and then now you're four weeks away from the race and you just did a 10-mile tempo and it wasn't that hard, like that can be really motivating and encouraging and it just gives you some perspective on how far you've come. So yeah, absolutely use that self-reflection as a way of like further deepening your understanding of how your body works and how you respond to training. So Megan, should a athlete adjust their life around their training or should their training fit into their life? So initially thinking of this question, I was like, this is an obvious answer. Unless running is putting 
like food on your table or money in your pocket, then the training should fit into your life. Um, then I started thinking about it a little bit more. There are some times when you have a commitment to a goal that there might be some lifestyle changes that need to be made. So if you're somebody that likes to go out all the time, stay up late, you're going to have a long run in the morning one of those days. And you're going to have to like make some lifestyle changes to support that long run so you don't get injured. So you don't, um, I don't know, so you can actually like work towards your goal. Um, another thing is diet. If you, you are what you eat, <laughs> right, to some capacity, especially when it comes to training, if you're not fueling properly, you can't possibly expect your body to give to give everything you need in order to um, hit all of these these runs, these um, these goals. Um, so something that seemed like a very black and white answer to me, of course, I feel like as PTs were trained to do this, became like a little bit of a gray area. Um, but yeah, so to an extent, some sacrifices need to be made if you're committed to your goal. Definitely. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Like goal setting is so important, but an appropriate goal setting is important. Once you've committed to a goal, whether it's training for a marathon or, you know, racing your first 5k, you are going to have to make some adjustments to meet that goal. And the more audacious your goal is, the more adjustments you might have to make, like marathon training in particular. You can't be out at the clubs every night of the weekend and then sleep for two hours and think that you're going to do a 20 mile long run. You might be able to do that a couple times, and especially if you're younger, but that's not going to be like your normal routine. Um, but where I would say that your training should fit into your life is that, like I said earlier, like a lot of people do their long runs on Saturdays or Sundays, but maybe you have a job where you work on the weekends and you have Mondays off. Should you try to force your long run on Saturday or Sunday just because that's what most of the people you know do? Or does it make more sense to do it on the day that you have more time and can maybe sleep in? I would vote for doing it on the day that you have more time and can sleep in. So, you know, Megan and I have both competed at a high level while working full time or while being in school. And you have to figure out how to make everything fit in. And sometimes you have to get creative. So I think a good coach can help you figure out, well, okay, how can we make your training gel the best with like your life commitments? But then also here are the things about your lifestyle that you might want to improve to help you achieve your goal. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is like, obviously like both of us working like, full-time jobs, it is tough to get everything in, but I, someone, I, there was a saying that like everyone has the same 24 hours a day. It's just up to you how you use it. So obviously the times you're at work, yeah, th those times are off limits for the most part, right? Um, in order to get like, to go out for a run or work out or something, but you have this time in the morning. Say you start work at like eight or nine o'clock. If, if you're up early, you can get a lot of stuff done in the morning, like before you even go about your day. And then it's on you if you're waking up early to, okay, you need to make sure you're getting to bed at a certain time or at least like trying to go to sleep so you can give your body that chance to recover and sustain that schedule. 
Um, but yeah, like making sure, like look, look at your schedule and see what kind, what changes can I make to make everything fit? And obviously there, there's a limit there, which is where like what you're saying, a coach comes in and can either help you get creative or modify the plan a little bit to make it fit your life better. Because I, I've, I've said this before, but like there's this seven day training plan that like every seven days you do a long run, you have two workouts in there, but it doesn't have to fit seven days. It can be eight days. It can be nine days. It can be 14 days. If that's what works best, if that's the only way you can get all the work in, then the coach should work with you on that. Definitely. Yeah. There's, there's so many ways to train and coaches who have a lot of experience helping people with busy lives figure out how to fit it all in can help you figure out how to fit it into. So let's talk a little more about other things that coaches can help with. So we've talked a lot about like work-life training balance, um, but let's talk a little bit about adjusting goals after illness or injury. Because sometimes, I mean, the marathon trials were this past weekend. Sadly, we saw a few of the favorites drop out. I feel so badly for Molly Seidel and Emma Bates with their injuries. Um, So if you have a big injury and you're going to be off running for a month or more, or if you got, you know, really sick, let's say you had like really bad COVID or really bad pneumonia or something and you didn't run for several weeks, that often does mean, you know, maybe you don't do that goal race that you were training towards. Or if you do, you've got to really adjust like your pace or time goals. And that's something that I think when you're on your own, you can make some poor choices because especially if you're like a really goal-driven person, like, oh my gosh, I've got to keep training hard so that I can, you know, run this marathon in a month. Or like, I know that the doctor said that I shouldn't run for four weeks, but maybe I can start running after three weeks and that'll you know, let me be ready for this race. We can come up with some really bad ideas for ourselves. And often you need somebody who's like, no, this is what you need to do to one, prioritize your health. But two, let's try to figure out, one, is the original goal still possible? Do we need to modify that goal where you still do the race, but maybe the time goal is different or maybe the goal is just to finish without being in pain? Or if that's not possible, okay, we're not going to do this race, but let's see what we could pivot to that still, you know, lets you work towards something, but lets you be prepared for that new goal. Yeah, definitely. Like, like what you were just saying, like picking another, like if, if you are out of running or you're not able to train for an extended period of time, like picking another, another target race, like sure. Like if you have this entry, you've been looking forward to running the race and you're going to be allowed to run like medically, (laughs) um, then sure. Do it. Enjoy it. Like I feel like anytime you're in a race environment, at least, at least for me, anytime I'm in a race environment, whether it be for a race tempo, like it just reminds you of like how awesome the sport is. Like the amount of people that come out to cheer and support. It's just like, oh yeah, I love this. I can't wait to like get get to that next target race, you know? So 
adjusting that is definitely important. Um, and then even if your A goal isn't on the table for like say that initial race, the next target race, or even the one after that, like you still keep it, it should still be in your mind. It should still be that A goal, but you're allowed to have B goals, C goals, D goals, all the way through to Z if you want. Like <laughs> anything that's going to help you see that progress toward A. Because if you do like three races and each one's getting like a minute or two faster, you're heading in that direction. And before you know it, you're going to be like, okay, hey, the next goal, that's that's the A goal. And you'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought, brought up goals because I think one thing that coaches help people do is setting appropriate goals or helping people just set goals because so many people just run and they don't really have any like concrete goals besides just like, oh, I want to do this or I want to do that race. But setting like not just like a time goal or a pace goal, but also like I'm going to finish this race, you know, without walking at all in this marathon or I'm going to finish this race and negative split it. Like there's so many metrics or ways to quantify progress. And I think that having a coach can help you identify some of those so that like your achievement of a goal isn't only based on like your finishing time. I think the one thing that I get asked a lot by my coaching clients is, okay, I'm thinking about doing this. Is this like a reasonable goal for my current fitness and for how much time I have to train? Because, you know, you're hanging out with your friends, people are on their phones and oh, let's enter the lottery for this ultra marathon. <laughs> so you do it and then you get in and it's like, oh crap. And you really need somebody who is objective and who isn't, you know, it's good having friends who like encourage you to do crazy things, but you need someone who's going to be honest with you and say, look, based on like the time you have to train, your current fitness levels, this is what you're going to need to be able to need to do to be prepared. And then that helps the person make an informed choice about whether or not they're going to, you know, actually try to do that ultra marathon. Because it can be really, of course, discouraging if you like set your goal way too high and then get injured or get sick in the process, or you get to the event that you've spend a lot of money, you know, preparing for and traveling to, and you're just completely underprepared. So a coach can help you identify, like, is this a reasonable goal for me? And here's what your training is going to look like. Is this something you're willing to do? Because especially when you talk about like longer distance races, people don't realize what's like necessary to be prepared and it's better to know ahead of time and to decide, you know, I really don't want to do that than to like get into it and like realize how miserable the preparation is. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's funny. How miserable the preparation. Uh, um, so my, my running coach has before races, he asks like in talking about goals. So what, instead of like, focusing in on a time, which I had been doing for like the last few races, the last few marathons I've done, he would ask me what besides the time would define success for you in this race? Like take the time away. 
what would it take for you to consider it a success? And I found that question to be like challenging at first. And I was like, okay, there are a lot of other things to be focusing on besides the time. And you and I both know any, I feel like most experienced runners know the second you take that like pressure off of that one specific, like it's this or nothing, then it all of a sudden happens and becomes easier and it's more enjoyable. So I I find that question to be very helpful for as a coach also, like relaying it to my athletes, like define success for you in this race. Take out like the specific time. What does that look like for you? Yeah, I love that. And I think that everybody could use that in their, you know, run goal setting and can definitely help people find like just that extra something special to push during the race when you're not just focused on time. I think another thing coaches do a good job at, and we talked about this a little bit, is it's just someone who's helping you with that like motivation and positive reinforcement piece. A lot of endurance athletes are very type A. Um, I think you and I could both consider ourselves guilty as charged there. And it's really easy to be negative about how you're doing, even when you're doing quite well. Like, because you always want to be doing just a little better, or you feel like you should be doing just a little more. And just having, like, somebody say, like, you're doing a really good job in training. Like, look what you did today. That type of workout was really hard for you two months ago. Like, it's just simple stuff, but it's so important in, like helping the athlete's psyche. So, and, you know, it doesn't just have to come from a coach. Like, your spouse could give you that positive reinforcement or one of your friends, but that's dependent on them actually, like, getting what you're doing, you know? So I think a coach is just that, like, mental coach. You know, coaches aren't just physical coaches. It's not just about the training plan, but it's about that, psychological reinforcement of where you're at, how far you've come, how you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, yeah, it does mean more coming from the person that's like providing you the plan and the person that like is helping you get to the goal. Because if they're out as an athlete, I trust my coach will also tell me if there's something I need to improve on, which like that, I don't know. I'm, I'm the kind of athlete. I like getting that like, that kind of feedback too, because that's how, that's how you grow. Um, and yeah, but, um, like that means when they come to you with this like positive, um, like reinforcement or like looking back at this workout and trying to like switch, like if you had a bad, if you claim you had a bad workout and then your coach is like, no, look at this. The goal of this workout was to do this and you accomplished that. And three weeks ago, four weeks ago, look like it was much harder for you. You were going a little slower, but like putting it in perspective and having them give that positive re- uh, like feedback when when appropriate, of course, um, I think is very helpful and meaningful as, as an athlete and coach. Definitely. Yeah. And yeah, hopefully your coach isn't just like a rah-rah, you know, always positive. Like they need to be honest with you. <laughs> but it, having 
objective feedback is important. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's a better way to put it. Uh, I think one of the other things that a coach can be really helpful with is just connecting you to like a network of run professionals. So like if you need a sports nutritionist or you need a, you know, mental coach or you need a PT who's well-versed in running, like if your coach is somewhat local to you, they should be able to connect you to those people. Because it's, a, you know, as runners, we need people who understand us. And hopefully your coach has a whole professional network of people that they can refer you to when you need specialized services. I completely agree with that. So I want us to talk next a little bit more about like how coaching works. So coaches look at a lot of metrics, right? Like, well, you know, we just said that numbers aren't the only thing. They are important, especially in like figuring out how somebody is progressing. So Megan, when you're coaching, like what metrics are you looking at to help figure out how your athletes are doing? So I mostly use some combination of pace, RPE, and occasionally heart rate. Um, the heart rate, I kind of, so heart rate training, I use very sporadically. I mean, unless somebody has like the chest strap or like the arm, the armband, um, that's really the only time that I'll really look at the heart rate data. Um, and for that, I do use more of like a trend, like, okay, are you like, are if if your resting heart rate is higher now, like, okay, maybe, maybe you're sick, maybe like something's going on. Um, but for the most part, I'll, I'll go on pace and RPE. Um, because I think in a race for one RPE, I think is like probably the most important and RPE is rating of perceived exertion. Now it's usually from zero to 10, um, zero being like you're sleeping to 10 being like you can't push yourself anymore. You're about to fall. You're about to like pass out 10 being like the hardest. So I'll, I like to have my athletes give like a zero to 10 scale of how hard they're working in, in the workouts, because that's, what's going to translate into the races. And that's, what's going to be the most consistent because pace can fluctuate. Like I'm talking like easy runs, obviously your easy pace is going to fluctuate. I never give a pace for easy, easy runs. It's always RPE for me. Um, but your pace can fluctuate so much given like so many different factors, like your fueling, your hydration, how are you sleeping? Um, how stressed are you? Um, so that's going to affect your pace. Whereas your RPE for an easy run, we'll say should be like, I don't know, around four, four out of 10, five out of 10, maybe. And then if we're going up to a marathon effort, like, okay, like, let's say like around seven, eight out of 10. So that usually lines up with like a pace or trends toward, toward a pace. So, you know, around like what to aim for a come race day, if you are checking your watch. But, um, for me, the most important data points are, um, pace and RP. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. I use heart. I don't prescribe heart rate training, but I do look at my athletes heart rate, especially if I have a lot of data from them. Like even when I'm onboarding a new client, I, I also use training peaks and I'll ask them to upload like their old data so that I can see like, okay, they did this 5k race. What was their heart rate like? What was their heart rate like in this marathon? You know, like you just see trends. 
Because, yeah, if you're only looking at heart rate data from, like, a week's worth of running, it doesn't really tell you much. But I don't prescribe heart rate-based runs because heart rate can be affected by so many things, like heat, hydration, fatigue, caffeine, uh, and too many things to use heart rate as a prescription. Depending on the level of athlete, I'll either use, like, an effort level I don't, I personally don't like the RPE scale because I have trouble like quantifying my effort. Like it's just never been a thing for me. So I'll usually like just use a descriptor like easy or steady or medium hard and like describe to them what it should feel like. But with more experienced runners, I will use like 10K pace, 5K pace, marathon pace. And they know that when I say that, I don't mean like you have to stick to this exact, you know, 6.30 per mile pace. Like make it feel like what a half marathon would feel like to you. And knowing that like their pace is going to range based on, you know, the temperature, the terrain, hydration, level of fatigue, all sorts of things. Um, I also like to do... um, like fitness tests with my athletes, both cyclists and runners. For runners, I'll have them do a two-kilometer time trial, which then can be used to set their training paces. But of course, they've got to be, you know, the they have to have given a maximal effort, you know, like they shouldn't have felt like something went wrong and they were too slow that day or like something else kept them from doing their best. And you have to keep updating that, of course. But you can also use like a recent race or a couple of recent races if people are doing shorter races to set their training paces. Again, like, and I make sure my athletes know that like your training paces aren't set in stone. It depends on a lot of things. So it's okay if it fluctuates five to 10 seconds a mile. But I, and I personally like to train based on pace, but then also based on effort, like, Oh, if I'm supposed to be at 620, but I'm running into a 20 mile per hour headwind, I know it's going to be more like 630 (laughs) or 635, you know, but it it just depends on the athlete, how I tell them to train, you know, like what's going to work best for them. Um, I tried a running power meter for a while, just like to see what I thought of it. And I was definitely not impressed. It certainly is not the same as a cycling power meter. I don't like how it works differently depending on the shoe that you're wearing, and especially as a shoe tester, that's a big yeah. problem. Interesting. Um, but for cyclists, you, if you want the most objective training data, you've got to have a power meter because it is literally measuring the force you're putting into the bike. Um, so, Maybe someday runners will have a similar metric, but right now running power meters are definitely not that. And the power estimates you're getting from your watch are definitely not that. So I would never use that metric to prescribe training to somebody. Have you experimented with running power at all? I haven't. I have some clients that have asked me about, um, some PT clients that have asked me about it that have, um, I think... Um, I'm blanking on the name, but it, it clips onto like, yeah, the top of your shoe. The stride. Yes. Thank you. It, it clips onto there yeah. and it gives you so much data. Like 
I was looking through, um, uh, I was looking through one of the data screens and it's like, you could, it gives you so much information is the, is the point of that, but you could spend all day looking and analyzing it. But yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I haven't, I haven't used it myself. Um, and I, I don't know how, how accurate it is or like some, some people I know swear by it and like have run huge PRs just by using power. So I guess that goes back to like, everyone's different. (laughs) Some things work great for others and some people it doesn't work for, but yeah, I, I haven't really, I haven't used power for running at all in my training personally or for my athletes. I could see it work if you only had like a couple pairs of shoes that you normally wear. And if you were doing like a big city marathon where you know your GPS watch isn't going to be accurate because the stride, the it's called a stride, the power meter can also give you like a pace, like it tells you how fast you're running. And I know others who have used that to give them like their real time pace when they knew their GPS pace was going to be really off. That's that's very helpful. <laughs> but for me, like, just, I probably tried it for like a month, and just looking at the numbers, they didn't correlate to the pace I was running, the effort I was running. Like there were just too many uh, extremes in the data. So for me, I just didn't feel like it was a valid way of uh, measuring my effort. And I'm sure that the device will improve over time. Um, but it, right now, I don't think it's really there yet. So let's talk a little bit about um, the metrics Training Peaks uses, where it tells you your acute and tr- chronic training load. So how do you use that with your athletes, Megan? Um, and how does it help you plan their training? So the acute, acute training load I use more for like that, like week to week basis. Like it's easier to see, okay, like I like to go either like a two week or three week build and then a down week. But you can see like use that to see if there was a huge jump in their training load because that's usually a sign that, okay, we need to probably take it down closer to that two week interval versus like if it's more of like a steady increase and that they are recovering and like, um, they're not showing any like major peaks there or spikes, um, then we're good. We can like stay steady. Whereas like the chronic training load, I'll usually look at that, like maybe once every couple weeks just to see like, okay, how are we progressing? How are they recovering? Um, was there any giant, like if there's any spikes in the chronic training load, that's usually a sign like we need to take it back. At least, at least that's how I read it. What about you? Yeah, same. Like, you don't want to have huge jumps in, like, weekly TSS score because that's where you could set somebody up for injury. Um, But if you have somebody who has a higher chronic training load, then that person will be able to absorb bigger jumps in acute training load than someone who, you know, let's say is only running, you know, three miles three days a week. So it's a really nice tool for coaches to use to plan training. But as an athlete, you also get to see those numbers. And it can kind of be helpful for you to see, oh, okay, my acute training load is pretty high. My fatigue score is pretty high. And I feel really tired. So I guess that all, you know, correlates well. There's a good reason for that. Um, If somebody, and of course, training peaks, those numbers 
become more accurate the more data that's in there. Like if you've just signed up with a coach who uses Training Peaks, those numbers aren't going to be really helpful for you in the first month or two because you've got to build up that data in training peaks before like the numbers are actually reflective of what you've been doing. Um, but it's, it's a good way for athletes to kind of visualize what their training loads have been like. Um, other things that coaches tend to look at are things like resting heart rate, heart rate variability, sleep data. All right. So let's talk a little bit about some recovery metrics that coaches might use to gauge whether a person is recovering well from training, if they're getting sick. So the two main ones that I would look at are a person's resting heart rate or their RHR and heart rate variability or HRV. Um, Again, you've got to have data from somebody for a long period of time to know like what their typical resting heart rate is. You can't just coach someone for a week and say, oh my gosh, your resting heart rate's high or your HRV is low. Um, You've got to have more historical data than that. But of course, a person's resting heart rate in a highly trained athlete is going to be lower. Resting heart rate for a normal you know, non-endurance athlete individual is 60 to 80. But in endurance athletes, it can be quite low. Um, Some like very elite athletes might even see it in the 20s, but more commonly it's in the, you know, 40s to low 50s. Um, Heart rate variability is basically measuring the variability between heartbeats. And when somebody is more recovered, and in better shape, their HRV will be higher. So your HRV number will be higher when you're more rested, when you haven't done a big workout, when you didn't run a marathon the day before. If you're getting sick, if you're really fatigued, you might see your HRV lower. Um, Unfortunately for women, our menstrual cycles affect our HRV. So if you see that your HRV is lower, at certain times of the month, well, then that's just more of a hormonal thing. But that can also affect the utility of looking at HRV to gauge your recovery. So, Megan, do you use these metrics when you um, are looking at your athletes' data? And if so, like, what do they, how much weight do you give to them? So I usually use um, resting heart rate more than HRV. I know some some people's watches like automatically upload into Training Peaks and give like a like a daily stress score, which I guess could look be looked at like similar to HRV, but opposite in that the higher stress score is obviously worse, and the lower stress score is uh, better. But I mostly use resting heart rate, and again, like you said, like following that trend, like if like if I just started working with an athlete and I see like their resting heart rates like fluctuating by like five beats per minute or something or 10 beats per minute, I'm not going to really think twice about that. Whereas like if I'm looking at an athlete that I've been working with for a couple of years now or like even like a year and I'm seeing like that five to 10 beat increase overnight or like that of, <clears throat> of their resting heart rate, that could be a sign that they're A, they're not recovering or they're not recovering well or they might be um, have an increase in stress, or they're, they might be getting sick, or their body's fighting something else off too. But usually, like, I'll use the resting heart rate in a trend um, 
as a sign to like either give them an extra easy day or to even like do like an extra check in like, hey, what's going on? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Resting heart rate is a more consistent measure. Like if you see that it's higher than normal, it usually means that something is going on. Whereas if you get like a weirdly low HRV reading, you don't really know, well, is this just like a blip in the data or is this actually like something going on? So I think, well, I definitely put more weight on resting heart rate than heart rate variability. So, you know, now we've talked about resting heart rate and HRV, and those are both things that our watches can track. And our watches also give us a lot of um, fitness information that may or may not be very helpful. So I know my watch tells me what my VO2 max is. It tells me how many hours of recovery I need after a run. It tells me if my training is productive or not. And often I find those features very annoying because I find its recommendations to be wrong. So I actually sometimes just turn off all of those recommendations. But what's the deal with all these recommendations from our watches? Um, What is it basing? Like, how is it estimating our VO2 max? And how accurate is it, Megan? So for the most part, to estimate your VO2 max, it's using your heart rate data. It's using the heart rate data that the watch is collecting, um, which, again, if you're not wearing like a chest strap or you're not wearing like some sort of external heart rate monitor, it's not not the most accurate uh, reading unless, I mean, it's trying to read your radial pulse. And for the most part, we wear our watches on the top of our wrist. Some people wear it on the other side, but it's constantly moving as you're running. It's constantly moving, like even as you're walking, moving throughout the day. So it needs to be taken with a bit of a grain of salt. Um, that being said, like we'll go back to trends. Like maybe that VO2 max number isn't like, if we were to get you on a treadmill and do like a VO2 max test, it might not be 100% accurate. But if on your watch, it's staying like consistently around the same and you see like uh, an increase by like a point or two as you're like, as you're going through a training program, like, okay, that could mean a sign of increased fitness. Or if you're taking some time off and it goes down, yeah, of course, you're going to lose fitness when you take a break, which is fine. Um, But that being said, the number it gives you, I don't think should be used as like, this is my VO2 max. I'm going to go in the Jack Daniels book and look at the chart. And this is what I can run because as much as I wish my, as much as I wish my watch was correct, it is not, it is very far off from what, what I know I can do. (laughs) Um, Yes. Sadly, the watch is not very accurate, but yeah, I agree. Like that you can use it as a trend. Like if you see that it's gone up, well, you probably had a race or a workout that exceeded your performance, your previous performances. And if you took some time off, if you've been sick, you come back, you're running a little bit slower for a given heart rate and it goes down. Yeah, it's probably accurate that your fitness has gone down a little bit, but you can't just say, oh, my watch says my VO2 max is this and brag to your friends yeah. <laughs> and expect that it's actually accurate. If you want your actual VO2 max, there are plenty of places to go get that tested, but you have to wear a big face mask and run pretty hard on the treadmill or ride your bike on the trainer. So if you really want to know that number, you can know it, but it's actually not the most useful number to know in terms of fitness 
knowing your lactate threshold is way more important for like setting training paces and knowing like your current level of fitness as compared to VO2 max. I, I have found lactate threshold, like I'm starting to look into it more and debating getting like a one to use either like in the clinic or um, like to do VO2 max tests in the future, um, but also in workouts, because that's a very good metric to use that you can in real time check like if the effort you're giving out in a workout or putting forward um if that is lining up with the goal of the workout so for example like the first lactate the lt1 they call it um if you're aiming for around this like lactate level and you check like in between reps and you're hitting that that usually equates to around like your marathon around marathon pace marathon maybe half marathon but um it's just a good way to like check, am I challenging my body appropriately? Am I overdoing it? Uh, could I, or should I push harder? Um, but yeah, so that's another thing on, on lactate thresholds, if it, <laughs> which is, I think the watch gives to you also. Um, but again, it's using heart rate data that might not be hundred percent accurate. Yeah. Did you read Megan that, um, there will soon be a continuous lactate monitor, kind of like the continuous glucose meters that people are using? No, I didn't hear that. <laughs> that would be very interesting. Yeah. And like I within like the next few years. That I feel like that would be me too. Very helpful. <laughs> like think about how much that could help you during a race to like especially a longer race to like really dial in your pace. Yeah. I mean I could see I could see that being a metric outside of like the RPE um <laughs> and paces that I would probably that I would like to try to use. That would be very interesting because it's literally what's going on inside your body <laughs> at that time. Right. Yes. <laughs> Here's hoping it will come out sooner rather than later and not cost $5,000. So any other, you know, we've covered a lot of topics today um, regarding coaching. Do you have any other recommendations to someone who maybe is interested in getting a coach that we haven't already covered something to think about or just what to look for? Um, any final thoughts? Um, I guess the most important thing is like, is to take the time to do the research, um, talk to other people, get to know the coach before, before hiring them to um, ask for a sample plan, because this is somebody that you're going to have regular communication with. And that's going to help you, or that is supposed to be helping you achieve something that you're, very committed to. So make sure you're very thorough before before signing on or before like starting with a coach. And be honest with yourself, if it's not working and you just started or like you're a month or so in, have that conversation with the coach and see if they can make any adjustments. And if not, then okay, that didn't work. Try another. But yeah, do 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 your homework before before hiring a coach. Make sure they're a good fit. Yeah, I totally agree. Yep. Interview coaches, don't just talk to one, talk to a few. Um, make sure it's someone you communi can communicate well with. And don't hesitate to give that coach feedback if the initial training isn't working because the coach is getting to know you too. So if the first method they try doesn't really sync with you know, your body or your schedule, then tell them. And if they're a good coach, they should be able to adjust it. 
So thank you for joining us today. Um, As always, we love to hear from our listeners. So leave us a review, send us an email at doctorsofrunning at gmail.com. And thanks for joining me for another episode, Megan. It's always fun to have you on. Of course. Thanks for having me. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.